The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. Man, we are in the July fry right here in Houston. I don't know about the rest of the country, but it's plenty hot here. But today is our final episode, I say with a little tear in my eye, <laughs> our outstanding six-part Soldier Code series with author and pastor Duncan Brannon. Our first five shows in this series were, just to recap, The Way of the Samurai, The Law of the Spartan, The Vow of the Viking, The Charge of the Knight, and The Oath of the Gladiator, which can all be downloaded on Apple, Spotify, or iHeartRadio apps. Today's show focuses on The Mark of the Legionary. Our entire series is drawn from Duncan Brannon's book titled The Soldier Code, Ancient Warrior Wisdom for Modern-Day Christian Soldiers. This book can be purchased on Amazon, or you can go to Duncan's website at www.thesoldiercode.com. Duncan, it has been a pleasure to have you on Wrestling with the Inner Man in this six-part series. The Ancient Warrior Wisdom remains extremely valuable today because our foe has never changed in spiritual warfare, and neither has our champion. I'm sure we'll be having you on again. So let's just call this the end of the series. Welcome back. Thank you so much, David. It has been a, a real pleasure to, to do this series with you. And uh, um, thank you for your, for your kind words there in the introduction. I appreciate that. So, Duncan, our, our final discussion involves one of history's most ferocious fighting machines, the Roman mm. Legion. What made them so successful for over a thousand years, earning the Roman Empire the title the mother of nations. Hmm. So uh, the Roman Empire really had this uh, sort of mythical founding under these figures, Romulus and, and Remus. And the, the mighty fall of, of her Western Empire, uh, which is what uh, really changed uh, history, impacted so much of, of Europe. Um, we remember this. We talk about this all the time in, in history classes and so forth. But the story of, of Rome is really encapsulated in, in a thousand years of just culture and conquest. Culture and conquest is what you constantly see if you survey uh, the Roman Empire across the years. And no ancient empire holds more sway over the modern world than the mother of nations. We see their influence every day. And most of us here in, in the West, we, we, we don't even realize it. Um, but at the, at the heart of her global domination um, was this ferocious fighting machine, the Roman Legion. And by A.D. 117, uh, under Trajan, the Legion had conquered foes from Africa to England and expanded her, her borders to over 2 million square miles. The, the rule of the Caesars at that time had now, uh, was now extended over one quarter of the global population. What's so amazing about all of it is that the power of the legionarius, the Roman soldier, it was not found in the typical advantages of, of warfare. Rome's great foes, they all outclassed her in, in some way from wealth 
to strength, to size, to skill, knowledge, uh, and, and even sheer numbers and so forth. And so when in this section of the book, we really focus in on what was the key behind the Roman soldier, and then we tie that into our warfare as a believer. Yes. So obviously it was a professional military. You know, so first, that's some, mm-hmm. somebody who exclusively focuses on military warfare, and that means tremendous training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, tell us about the military mark and the military oath of the legionary under Vegetius. How do you, how do you say that? Uh, Vegetius. 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 Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I don't like vegetables, so I just um, uh, I don't like those <laughs> words. Uh, Vegetius. All right. And how. So under him, he was really kind of the father of all this training, as, as I recall from your book and how these. Mm-hmm. offer striking illustrations for lessons to the church today, how we can apply this training and what he was doing to make them such a formidable fighting machine and how we can apply that to uh, church mm-hmm. as Christian soldiers today. Right. So Vegetius was a Roman of high office uh, in the late 4th century A.D., for those who may not be familiar with that name. And at, at this time now, the Roman army was not the force that it had been previously. They were deteriorating. And uh, barbarians were invading Rome's borders constantly. They had Persia uh, in the east, uh, the, uh, the Germans uh, in the west. And Flavius Vegetius Renatus is his full name. He was poring over the manuscripts of Rome's military sages from back in the day, looking for the key that had unlocked this era of conquest. And the result of his, of his study was um, a military treatise, uh, called Epitoma Re Militaris, uh, loosely translated concerning the military. Um, and this work went on to actually become the military Bible of medieval Europe. Uh, knights referred to it, uh, and it even became an annotated field companion for General George Washington. Washington looked at this book. In- so that tells you yeah. how important it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Washington had this, had this uh, in, his, in his little sack he carried around with him. But Vegetius, when he was diagnosing all of this, he had traced it back for a number of years um, to find the issues, and then he wanted to give the Roman army this kind of reset um, and bring everybody back to, to home plate, okay? Kind of like Vince Lombardi. Gentlemen, this is a football. Uh, and so he brought them back to the customs, and part of those original customs were the military mark and the military oath. And he talks about them here in his treatise. The military mark was imprinted on the hands of the new Roman soldiers. And then their names were inserted in the role of the Roman legions, and then they would take this military oath. Well, after the, uh, the Edict of Milan under Constantine, the Roman army had completely changed, and they, their oath now involved swearing by God, by Christ, and by the Holy Ghost, and then the majesty of the emperor also. And they swore to implicitly obey the emperor in all of his commands. And so these, the mark and the oath were these very two powerful symbols to the Roman soldiers. And I carry that over in the book with these two symbols um, for the Christian. Christ set two conditions also to becoming his soldier. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel in Mark 1.15. And wherever the New Testament presents Christ's gospel, you will always find these two things, repentance and faith. The absence of either of these things 
constitutes really a false gospel, one which cannot save us. Repentance and faith have to be there. And while we as Christians, we don't take an oath, we do make a confession when we come to Christ. It's supposed to be marked by these things. Paul said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he said that to the Romans, chapter 10 and verse 9 there. And so he tied repentance this change in attitude towards sin, towards self, towards the fallen world, with Jesus' lordship. John the Baptist came along after him, um, uh, before him, and, and John had said, prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God in Matthew 3, 8. And Paul, as he starts preaching in the book of Acts, he carries this over. And really, Jesus ties the whole thing together when he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I say. So this, this idea that one could sincerely claim Jesus as Lord, but cling to his old life, it's, it's really a devilish lie. And it's another gospel, as Paul later noted. Um, Paul taught that God's grace purchased the believer a new life, not a permission slip to get comfy in an old one. Repentance must be there. But the second thing is faith. Faith, this idea of completely trusting in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection to make us right with God and give us eternal life. This goes hand in hand with repentance. From the day we meet Jesus to our final day on earth, faith looks solely to Christ for redemption. Salvation belongs to the Lord, as, as even Psalm 3.8 says. And it, before we, uh, before the show, I, I mentioned the verse, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Right. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So repentance and faith, these things line up with, this, with these two striking uh, pieces of, of the Roman soldier's culture, the mark and the military oath. If we have repented, we have been marked by God, by the Holy Spirit. And if we have believed, then we have taken that oath of sorts. We have made that confession of Christ. Okay. Excellent, excellent explanation of that. Now, we both love William Grinnell, and I like this quote because I think, you know, what you've uh, restoked in me, if you will, is just kind of the, this interest in, in ancient wisdom and, you know, the traditions, you know, so seals, seals, you know, seals of wax and with signet rings and stamps, you know, that that was really important. It was like their legal documents. Mm. And so Gernal writes, the memory is a treasury which stores up and carries, carries images which we have received. The more weight applied to the seal, so the more weight that's pressed into the seal, the deeper the impression made on the wax. So that gives us a visual picture. And then the more emphatic and certain our knowledge of something the more deeply it sinks into the memory. So in your book, you state that our salvation stands secure because God's nature is immovable and his mark. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit is irremovable. And then you reference mm -hmm. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, where Paul says, And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, a promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those are God's possession to praise of his glory. 
So help our mm. tattoo lovers out there and listening understand the, <laughs> the significance of the mark and sealing something as a legal signature, which guarantees the promise of what was sealed. Mm. Uh, yes. So uh, as noted uh, earlier, the military mark was tattooed on the legionary's hand um, at his induction into the Roman army. And it set him apart forever. Whenever he went somewhere in society, even if he was out of his uniform, that mark was visible and Anybody who saw it knew that's a Roman soldier right there, distinguishable all across society, any time or place. And, it, and that, if they saw that mark, people knew this guy, this one right here, he's the property of Rome. He is a servant of the emperor. You do not mess with that guy. Um, and similarly, the Bible teaches that when anyone trusts in Jesus for salvation, God's Holy Spirit indwells that person permanently. Jesus said in John fourteen sixteen through 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, though, because he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus made this promise that the Holy Spirit, after he left, after Jesus left, that the Holy Spirit would come, abide in the believer, and remain with them forever. Now, you read that, that verse from Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 just a second ago. That's where Paul picks up the trail here of this abiding, permanent presence of the Holy Spirit on the believer's life and compares it to this um, ancient practice of officially marking or sealing a document. Kings, military leaders used this. Um, it, Paul mentions it later on in Ephesians chapter 30. Um, but that helps word studies, uh, really great uh, resource here. It notes that the phrase marked with a seal from Ephesians 1 there, right. it means to place a seal or mark upon an object with a signet ring to stamp it, to validate it, to specify the ownership. And sealing in the ancient world, it, it, it served as this legal, this legal signature, and, and it, it was Really, it was. It was kind of the, the replacement of this kind of tattoo of sorts. But we see this practice specifically of sealing documents. We can see it elsewhere in Scripture in Esther. Esther 3.12, Esther 8.10, we see the Persian king Ahasuerus. He seals his officials' decrees with his signet ring. And we see this uh, same practice in the book of Daniel. And we learn between these two books that once that seal is affixed, it is is irrevocable. Law has just been made, and it can't, you know, there's, there's no, there's no uh, blackjack, no takebacks. as we would right. say. <laughs> yeah. you, you can't undo this thing. Um, the person who's trusted in Jesus for salvation. Yeah, that's... This is why and Paul is using, using the seal. Yeah, it's, the, he's never, never in danger of losing his salvation because of the mark of the Holy Spirit. This seal on the document, on us, we have become the property of heaven through the Holy Spirit's presence on our lives. And it's not going away. Yeah, that's, that's a great comfort. And I want, you know, every listener out there mm-hmm. to really take that to heart is like, once you accept that seal, you are the property of heaven and that's an honorable place. So, you know, in, in this section of your book, you state that the greatest virtue of the Roman soldier, according to Vegetius was disciplina or discipline. So again, mm-hmm. Paul tells us in Ephesians six ten. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In other words, power for victory comes from a close walk with God 
an active, mm-hmm. vibrant relationship with him. And so you outline, uh, you know, these four core disciplines in your book that are, I think, extremely important to, to cover here today on a Christian mm-hmm. soldier. So you've you've repented, you know, and now this is kind of the work of faith, you know, to mm-hmm. uh, employ meditation, prayer, worship, and fellowship. So why don't you relate to our listeners how you know these disciplines can strengthen their faith and prepare them for the spiritual warfare that's just going on around us today. Amen. So at the, at the beginning of, uh, of the broadcast, we had mentioned Vegetius and how he had combed through all of those documents uh, from the Roman uh, military sages to find that key to the Roman legionaries' conquest, and he found that it was discipline. The opposite of that was negligentia. We know what word we can get from that. That's negligence. And so you had disciplina or negligentia, these these two opposites. And disciplina or discipline, it was the key that had carved Rome's conquest all across the world. And in the book here, I draw the correlation between the discipline of the Roman army, how that made her more powerful than all of her foes. Her foes were stronger. They outnumbered her. They had more knowledge. Uh, they, were, they had more wealth. They had more resources, all these things. But because of the discipline of the Roman army, that's what made them the conquerors. And in the same way, when a believer begins to implement spiritual discipline, when we implement that principle into our lives, we become very strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, as Paul was talking about. And I break it down in the book. There's four core disciplines. Um, a lot of authors over the years have come up with 10 or 13 or so forth. I, I really believe that God keeps it simple for us. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Me too. <laughs> remembering long lists anyway. I, my wife can't send me to the grocery store. so. <laughs> but there's four core disciplines. And the first is, is meditation. And meditation is this mainspring of the spiritual disciplines. It's, it's about setting our thoughts on God and kingdom. And Scripture reveals um, the discipline of meditation in reading, in reflecting on God with our minds, in study, and in memorizing. So there's, there's four core things right there just in meditation of how we can do it. And no book in Scripture exalts meditation more than the Psalms. The longest chapter, Psalm 119, it references meditation about 144 times. Wow. And, 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 and in, an, in about 52 verbs talks about meditating on the Word of God day and night. And so, but the really great thing about it is that it shows us is that meditation is not just something for the elite. God shows us how in His Word to be able to do it day and night. Reading, reflection, study, memorization, all these things are great ways to meditate on him. So that's the first one. The second one is prayer, of course. And prayer, um, I break it down also in the book, give lots of practical examples and all of that. But uh, maybe one of the most important passages in the New Testament, Paul breaks down prayer into four parts. He said in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, he says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all in high positions. The, the Greek word here for prayer, by the way, it means to, to exchange wishes. It's mm. the idea of, of us coming to God and seeking to exchange our sinfulness, our need for his grace and his power, his, his magnificent provision for us. 
prayer really is about this exchange between man and God. And we, we, again, we explain the different forms of prayer. Um, prayer begins the moment our minds begin to lift and just lift towards heaven and focus on God. Prayer can be out loud. Prayer can be in, in, happen in, in song. Prayer can be discursive as we read through Scripture and fashion those verses into a prayer, just as we're actively reading it. So a number of things there. The next discipline, um, of course, is worship. Worship is, is a huge part of our life as believers, and there is an incredible power that is tapped from heaven and unleashed in our lives to overcome sorrow, to overcome sadness, depression, and pressures of the world as we really begin to press into worship with God. And we see worship begin from the book of Genesis. Paul um, carries it on out in the New Testament. We see it all the way in the book of Revelation with, with John. And, of course, David talks a lot about it right there in the middle of the, so of the good book. Yeah. And so many battles, though, are won and lost at the altar of worship, where we choose to trust and praise God or doubt Him and withhold that worship. Mm-hmm. The last discipline is fellowship. And Bible is, is, is big on this. The Bible is big on believers not living their life alone, but coming together in community in spiritual family, and when they do, that's when we really become a mighty army in Christ. Um, we, uh, we have uh, many calls to that fellowship all throughout the Scripture, and of course I trace those things in the book. Um, but a great little point I like to share here is that um, in some Barna research that was conducted between 1993 to 2020, It showed that American weekly church attendance had dropped from 45 to 29 percent. And and that's very disturbing. Yes. Many factors play into those numbers. But what it really comes down to is people stopped going to church. They just didn't think it was as important. They didn't think it was important to get together with the body of Christ as God really says it is in Scripture. God makes it a priority if we don't. It really does draw a question, well, do we really trust and do we really believe God? And so these, these four core disciplines, we go over them in the book, and, and I really just lay it out for people that if, if we will make them a part of our life, we do become heavily armed soldiers just like the Roman legionary. Right. So, I mean, good job, Doug. I know you've written this fantastic book. You've researched forever. There's all kinds of uh, annotation in it and all these scriptures, and it's hard to distill it down here, you know, into this 25-minute program. But, <laughs> but we've done six of them, and you've done a fantastic mm-hmm. job. And they are, you know, the way of the samurai, the law of the Spartan, the vow of the Viking, the charge of the knight, the oath of the gladiator, and then the mark of the legionary. So why don't, to close us, you read your soldier code that you close the book with. And then I'll close Mm. with prayer after that. Mm. I am a samurai of the Lord of Lords, lovingly following my master in death. I am a Spartan of the Lion of Judah, a consecrated shield for faith and family. I am a Viking of the only God of thunder, valiantly plundering the coasts of hell. I am a knight of the King of Kings, compassionately rescuing the needy. I am a gladiator of the Grand Editor, enduring for his glory and purpose. I am a legionary of the Man of Triumph, Jesus the Christ, marching behind him with discipline. I am a Christian, a soldier in the kingdom of God. 
Man, fantastic, folks. you got to check out the book if you want to dig deep. I thank you for being on. And look, when you're in trouble and you got problems with your house, with uh, maybe some electrical problems, maybe some issues where you've had flood damage, uh, textiles, we have our sponsor, Prism Specialties, and they are in the restoration business, just like Duncan is. <laughs> and, you know, electronics, artwork, textiles, anything that's been damaged like that, they can restore them. So call Prism Specialties, and if you got any questions about our programming or content, email us at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. So God bless everyone. God bless you, Duncan, and I'm praying for Rolana in this COVID episode that she uh, be healed miraculously and swiftly. So take care, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. AM 1070, The Answer, Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man with David Savage. For more information, reach out to David at WrestlingWithTheInnerMan at gmail.com. That's WrestlingWithTheInnerMan at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling With The Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.